Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. If you want legendary service... If you, you want, want sweeter discounts, shop under with and sure See what it's all about. Switch to insurance. Get a quote and save by bundling auto and home with insurance. This is John Rocha, one-third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Geek Buddies. Hey! Hey! I think we finally got that one right. Well, fresh off the heels of our uh, live episode last week, thank you all so much for watching that episode. Incredible interaction with the fans, almost 2,000 views already, uh, which is big for the Geek Buddies. And thank you all so much for all the super chats you sent in, the streamlabs, and also all you reaching out to ask your questions, bringing in your live, uh, talking to us, and having a lot of fun. We had a great time uh, doing that and got a lot of great responses and uh, reactions and comments from you all. And so I think we're going to start doing that once a month, uh, trying to endeavor to do that once a month so you all can enjoy coming in and talking to us live about geeky stuff. Uh, But I am one of your hosts. I am uh, John Rook. I'm a writer and producer and host here on the Outlaw Nation. I am Michael Vogel. I am a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And I am Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Teen Wolf, and Silicon Valley. Ooh, yeah, nice. Silicon Valley. I love that. Uh, shout out to Eddie Lou there. Uh, is that right? Is that, I don't know. I want to give Eddie him a little up. I want to give Eddie, Eddie a little up. Eddie <laughs> little up. We'll have him on the show at some point. Mike's already committed us, so I guess we can't say no. So, Eddie, you can come on the show when we're ready. Um, <laughs> I, like, I like that me tweeting people saying this would be cool is somehow a commitment. I didn't know that was legally binding. But, yes, <laughs> we should probably have Eddie. And everybody I've talked to, which all, you know, we had such a great time last week with people we coming did. on the show that as far as I'm concerned, this is a more the merrier situation, yeah. which has gotten me in trouble in the past with yeah. party planning because I bring too many people to parties. But you know what? 
on this party, we can make it happen. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're getting we're getting familiar. <laughs> well, you're getting a peek behind the curtain of friendship. Uh, I got when we were when we were seniors in college, and my yes. and our the people living in my uh, house were planning a big party. I was told that we were having a specific number of people, and then I went and invited most of the graduating class. And wow, I wow, did get I, in trouble, and yeah. I have not stopped bringing along too many people ever since that's sure that's true regardless of how it wrinkles other people i just don't like it when you bring someone and then you don't talk to them and leave us to talk to them the whole time we remember that in london but there's those things happen and that you know that's part of the game and some people don't like it when you bring too many people to their party they get real upset about it if only the specific people get invited and only the specific people can come but anyway let's move on and talk about things that are happening in the world Kikos, Geekios, Debuddios. That's the Spanish version of it. Uh, we got so much we're going to cover today. We're going to talk about some reboots that are happening in popular franchises. We're going to talk about the Boys Season 2 trailers that have dropped. We're going to do a mini review of Eurovision, but more of a, I think it's more of a, why did you like this movie? I'll tell you why I like this movie type of review. And then uh, we're going to get into our favorite patriotic movies. That's our main topic in honor of July 4th happening this weekend. So who uh, who's starting us off today? That would be me. So this week, we got reboots, reboots, reboots. We <laughs> have got two separate news items here. That one, we found out that uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldstein, his writing partner, and their Point Grey Productions, they're going to be rebooting the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Again, Ooh. this time, it is going to be a CGI animated feature. That's all the information that we have right now. Yeah. But... You know, we had talked about this earlier. Uh, uh, the three of us had talked about it on text about how come the turtles, they, they just keep hanging on. I feel like cinematically, at least, they, they, they'll get one good one out of the gate and then it kind of falls off, thinking back to the original. Then we got the one CGI version. Then we got the Michael Bay version. And right. now we're getting another version. Yeah. So personally, I think Seth Rogen and Evan Goldstein, they, that's, that's, a, that's a fun duo to take a to take a whack at this property gentlemen what do you think yeah mikey uh i'm super excited i think uh i mean this is going straight through nickelodeon studios it's their first big animated feature film and then paramount is uh releasing it but i feel like uh you know to to answer your point and what we were talking about on text like this is like one of those uh golden brands as far as it has a rich mythology. The people who love this mythology love this mythology. And it sells a ton of toys practically every time. Um, and I would say that in general, it you're absolutely right, Shannon. You'll have like one good movie and then one kind of secret of the ooze that like, I love it, but is it good? Uh, and, you know, it's not always completely consistent. But as far as something that has been rebooted as many times as it's been rebooted and has been changed and tweaked and altered a bunch of different times, it's pretty consistently solid. I mean, there's definitely some worse versions and better versions, but when you think of like some of our other favorite brands that get rebooted a ton of times, X-Men, for example, where you have some real, real stinkers in there, Ninja Turtles kind of just like coasts through. And I think it coasts through on the fact that it's just a crazy concept and it has really, really strong characters that are beloved every single time. Like Michelangelo, Donatello, Raphael, and Leonardo, just people love these characters. They love the ridiculousness of it. Something works about them. Um, And so it keeps happening. It keeps happening. What I really hope is 
Um, you know, the CG series that was on Nickelodeon a couple of years ago before this newest version that's on there now, super Excellent. popular people. Yeah, really people good. really, really loved it. Yeah. Um, the the CG movie that came out was fine. Not, not anything I think that people got super, super excited about. And I think that we're living in a time now, um, thanks to all of the big brands that are out, the Marvel universes, the Star Wars universes, the DC, like all the big things that are really, really working that I think that this time, this version of this movie, this CG version is going to be treated more, hopefully, like a Lego movie or like something that has a bigger marquee value where they're going to put more money into it. They're going to put more time creatively on it and hopefully give themselves a really viable franchise. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not always, I'm not the biggest fan, and i got to say this correctly, I enjoy the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for sure. I've enjoyed the movies. Uh, I've, I've watched the TV series. I think the first season I would watch the TV series, um, the old 80s TV series, by the way, uh, I got into that. And so it, it, the, you're right about the fact that every time they launch this thing, uh, they, they have a lot of good, uh, and then it's followed by a lot of bad. I'm sorry if you hear some drilling. They're doing earthquake refitting on my apartment underneath us. So if you hear some of this, uh, that is not the pounding in your like, head. It is what's happening. So anyway. Like the the running gag like, that keeps on giving on the Geek know, Buddies. John, John's this, housework. This is like six more weeks of this shit. So anyway, I really, I'm a, you know, the comics were good. The comics endure. They keep rebooting the comics. So certainly there's interest all around for this particular franchise in whatever format and certainly these studios don't venture into rebooting ai uh, i'm sorry rebooting uh, uh franchises or, or or any of that any of that stuff if they don't uh, feel that there's an audience for it that they're doing their outer doing polls and doing whether inner uh, uh surveys that they're doing to figure out whether there is an interest to be doing i think the michael bay one left a bad taste in people's mouths uh, like you said the cg animated series was received well they're also teaming nickelodeon studios is with netflix for a 2d animated film based on the rise of the teenage mutant ninja turtles tv series already so more of this is happening right step by step more of this is coming forward, and I have. It's interesting to have Rogan involved in this. Uh, you know, it's got. Is it going to be more of a sweeter take, like what we saw with Jason Siegel and the Muppets, or is it going to be more of a harder take? Uh, uh, you know, more of a playful kind of. I don't know. Can you go into some of the the the, the more? Because I mean, Teenage Mutant they can get R rated in some of their well, versions in the comics. The original I, comics were a bit darker. Yes, um, and, and I think when you attach someone like uh, Rogan and Goldberg to it. Because they do have a reputation doing the R-rated comedies. Yeah, that yeah, that's why I asked. The thinking is that, that maybe they would go that way. Personally, I don't think they will. I mean, okay. I think the, the days of the dark comics are kind of are kind of past us. I don't think they'll go dark, personally. Okay. Well, I think that, I think that what makes Ninja Turtles work so well is yeah. that when it's working really well, it does both. I mean, if you think back to uh, that original first live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that came out, which, I mean, super cheesy now, but like when that came out, yeah. it actually is one of the truer comic book to movie adaptations as far Great as like point. the original comics and stuff. Yeah. And even yeah. though you had four uh, guys in- I'll mute myself in while you guys are talking. I'll mute myself so you don't hear that. Oh, but even when you but even when you have four Jim Henson Creature Studios talking turtles and a ninja rat and all the things that it has, which is super silly and ridiculous, there's actually a grounding in like some real emotion, some real stakes and some real danger. And I think that the CG series on Nickelodeon did the same thing. I think that what makes it work is the fact that 
it actually has a level of darkness to it. There is this bigger story. There's this relationship between Splinter and Shredder um, and you actually care and there are real stakes. It's not just a silly, fun, goofy thing, but it's such a goofy concept. It's, I think that what really works right now um, in, in kids entertainment, but in entertainment in general is taking something that is, whether it be a superhero genre, Jedi's and lightsabers and, you know, funky aliens or whatever, and mixing it with some real grounding and some real stakes in a bigger mythology, the blending of the ridiculous and the dark is what makes something magic. Because we have tons of things that are super dark and you're like, that's fine, but you're not going to show your kids to it. You're not going to, you're not going to show it to your kids. And we have a lot of kids movies that an adult is like, I want to blow my brains out. But when you can marry the two, uh, you know, like I said before, Lego movie is a great example of this. Spider-Verse is a great example into the Spider-Verse. It's like when you can take something that you feel like it's heavier, you feel like there's real emotion, there's real stakes, you actually care, but it's also silly and ridiculous. That's a win. And I think Turtles just inherently has that magic. And I would say, I don't want to say it's easier to get right because people have definitely got it wrong and I don't want to take anything away from the talented teams who have done such a good job. But I think there's a lot to work with there uh, that, that, that when you get that balance right, you're it's easier to find that balance because you have four talking turtles who are named after renaissance artists it's like you're yeah. not it's silly my question <laughs> is do you think they've ever got it got it a hundred percent right in and i don't mean on the on the comics because obviously they have but do you think they ever got a hundred percent right on screen both either the tv or on film the cg animated series from nickelodeon from like what like six or seven years ago it was really really good I 2012 mean, it, yeah uh it was really good Paying homage to the the uh, original 80s series while kind of paving some new ground as well. Honestly, like I didn't like the first Bay movie. I liked some of the changes that they made, differentiating the height, making them different ages. I was like, oh, this they're making them more unique. Um, the sequel, which just did terribly, I actually thought they got more right in the sequel than they did in the first one. But at that point, I feel like the audience had kind of abandoned ship. Can I, I can I, I also, yeah go ahead no go ahead I'm, 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 no no you go ahead no, no, please, I asked you guys the question I want to hear you guys talk. Uh, I was going to say even um, the newest version that's on Nickelodeon right now the new 2D version that people really freaked out at the beginning because the style was really different the turtles were all very different sizes and shapes I don't know that it's necessarily 100% true to the comics or like the best adaptation but it is funny like it, it, it shows how elastic turtles can be as a brand in that they've pushed it really really far they've done some really different things with this version um but like and i and i was definitely one of those people that when i first saw the designs i was like what is this is not my turtles i was like the old grouchy ass geek on the uh, get off my lawn kids but then i watched it and it was a treat like i loved it and to me it just shows how uh that doesn't actually answer your question i, I actually i'm actually very partial to the very very first movie like i was at the right age when i saw it I was I it's written now when I watch I go back and watch it you're like it is ridiculous but when I was a kid and saw that I was like they fucking nailed it like this is this is turtles it was great so <laughs> Corey yeah. Feldman is Donatello <laughs> what more do you want what more do you want Elias <laughs> Cateus with hair what's this all about yeah I mean I, I, I I'm in the same boat I think the first one is probably the closest they've ever come I haven't seen the CG animated series so maybe I should watch that before this thing comes out and enjoy that series but when they get it right it is a joy to watch which is why I think they keep coming back to this well it's like Spider-Man right we've had 700 reboots of Spider-Man it's because that those characters and that character they work and so once you get it right people and it's multi-generational like people you it can be redesigned discovered again 
and every new generation because there's something about the the um, rebellious, fun, playful, uh, awesome nature of these four uh, uh, turtles. Plus the fact that they know like ninja moves and they can fight, they got swords, uh, but they're very playful. All of that works well. Plus turtles are not necessarily seen as aggressive creatures. So it all kind of blends together to make it feel like something that uh, no matter what age you're at, when you discover it, you could actually enjoy it. I also think, and you can't put too fine a point on this, like putting on my working at Hasbro for several years hat, uh, Ninja Turtles is such a win from a consumer product standpoint, yeah. uh, they never don't sell. Like kids love to buy, like it's such a, it's such a, when you walk down the toy aisle and every superhero on the shelf kind of is like, you know, here's, they all are cool dudes in their costumes and whatever. And then you have these turtles with their big shells and everything. Each one has super ownable weapons. Like a lot of times when you buy a toy, you're like, okay, well he's got a sword, he's got a gun, whatever. But like kids know Leonardo has katana blades, like uh, Raphael has Psy, like Michelangelo has the nunchucks. They know the colors. Uh, and so role play is a super big thing. Like kids will buy an action figure, but they'll also buy a bow staff and they'll also get their purple mask or their purple thing. Like it, it's a role play item. It's a great action figure. Kids want to own the weapons. Kids want to pretend that they are the turtles. Every kid knows which turtle. Oh, I'm more of a leader. I'm a Leonardo. Oh, I've got an attitude. I'm Raphael. So just from a marketing consumer product standpoint, like that's the main reason I think like as far as like you, everything you said is true about creatively why it works and why we yeah. But like, but like when you're a company like Nickelodeon, Paramount, uh, everything else, you're like, we're going to make this because we're going to sell a ton of toys and T-shirts and posters and all the things that you want a brand to do. Yeah. And there's no shortage of turtle allies and turtle villains. I mean, you have you have Shredder, you have Rocksteady and Bebop, mm-hmm. you have Krang. I mean, there's just there's sort of no limit to to the amount of characters meaning action figures that they can churn out, which, I mean, I think that does make it uh, uh, a very uh, a very valuable property. But Ninja Turtles is not the only thing being rebooted. We also found out this week that uh, Margot Robbie is going to, at this point, lead a, uh, a reboot of Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, this is not the only reboot. They have another reboot in development as well from Craig Mazin, who did uh, Chernobyl, and Ted Elliott, who was uh, associated with the first four movies. Now, I did a rewatch of the Pirates films recently. You know, I did my, I did my MCU rewatch, and I was like, I kind of want to watch something else. So I, I went and watched the Pirates movies. That first movie is just magic it is so so good and the second one has a lot of good stuff the third one has a lot of good stuff it's just they just it seems like they just didn't have the time to really kind of focus the storytelling there's there's a lot of stuff some of it's good (laughs) (laughs) but but then after that they're like you know we're not gonna let captain jack go away just yet they did on stranger tides which i think everyone would kind of agree that is sort of the the weakest entry and then they closed it out with uh, dead men tell no tales that they had an awesome villain in javier bardem and a pretty and a pretty good story now we've got two more entries coming in personally i don't know how you do another film in this franchise without Jack Sparrow, but gentlemen, what do you think? Oh, well, full, full disagree. Full okay. disagree. Well, l- let me clarify uh, something real quick before go we ahead. go forward in the discussion. 
The Margot Robbie thing is not a reboot. It is its own film that will be a part of the universe, but is not a reboot of the Pirates of the Caribbean series. The one, the Pirates of the Caribbean, the Craig Mazin one, that is potentially a reboot. But apparently the Margot Robbie one is supposed to exist in the same universe with Jack Sparrow. It's supposed to exist in the same universe, but it won't necessarily be a reboot. They made that they they made a point to point that after initial reports came out, they made an effort to point that out that it's not a reboot, a re a spin-off or anything like that. It's its own thing. It just exists in the same universe. So anyway, Mikey, go ahead. So I that that's the way that I understood it too. And I love this idea mainly because I think that. I think the Pirates universe that they created, the mythology, the Davy Jones, like the mystical mixed with the Pirates, even like I do not. What's the what's uh, the Fountain of Youth one? What's the what's the one on Stranger Tides? On Stranger Tides. On Stranger Tides, horrible movie. But like the mermaids were cool. Like like they've created a really fun universe. And Captain Jack Sparrow at the beginning of Pirates was the best thing about it. And by the end of it, I just felt like he was like uh, just like just an albatross around the neck of pirates like it's he's just the, like i was i was tired yeah i was tired of captain jack sparrow it's like yeah, he's, 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 he's go ahead sorry go ahead, go ahead. no i keep no, going no. good no 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 go ahead go ahead i'm saying he's like schwarzenegger in the terminator franchise it's that they feel like they feel tied to have to having him in the movie when they yeah. don't when having him in the movie does i mean because i mean you have to you have to say the last film made almost 800 million dollars so they weren't necessarily, you know, losing money necessarily, but um, they, I know you can tell they're uncomfortable having attached to the movie. Same thing with Schwarzenegger Terminator franchise. Apparently you can't do a Terminator film without throwing some version of Schwarzenegger in there. And I think once they move past that, maybe it's got a chance here, but yeah, by the end, it's, it feels like an albatross. Like you said, yeah. I, I think that they have a really rich universe. I think people love that universe. And I think, uh, uh, someone of Margot Robbie's stature who has proven that she, like, people will go to see her, like, people like her, like, she is a commodity and putting her with a bunch of other awesome women in a female-led, female-driven Pirates movie in that universe, I think could be a ton of fun and doesn't close you out with the opportunity to have some characters. I'm not necessarily saying Jack Sparrow, but he would definitely be someone who could show up at some point, but you could also have a lot of the other characters that we've met along the way. So it feels like an expansion of an already existing universe. I, to me, expanding a universe that kind of works, uh, despite the fact that some of the characters might be a little tired, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. uh, is better for them than rebooting all over again. I think that like this is the universe that most kids have grown up with understanding. Like when we go to see the pirates ride, this is what we see now. We see Davy Jones, we see Jack Sparrow hiding. And so adding a new pirate to that universe so that you keep your Jack Sparrow, but you can put a Margot Robbie pirate on the ride at some point as well. I think that's the win to me. And and I, I want to agree with you. And I think in a utopian world, absolutely. An idealistic world. Yes. This makes all the sense in the world. Female led pirates movie, get a bunch of female pirates. Cause certainly if you do any kind of Google search there are plenty of female pirates who were pretty ruthless and pretty uh, popular and successful doing what they were doing in real history in real history from multiple continents and multiple countries so do your research you can find that out it's not them trying to shove a woman into the lead some looks like some people might complain about this actually can be based on stuff that's actually happened in the past that being said we just saw a female all female-led film not do well comparatively in the box office Fair. in Birds of Prey. And that's a concern I have. However, no Pete, no uh, Pirates movie has ever gone past 
PG-13. So it would surprise me, or it may just always be PG, but it would surprise me if they ventured out of that realm. So the main complaint people had about Birds of Prey overall was that they didn't make it PG-13. They made it R. uh, And if they had done that, more younger girls could have come possibly helping the box office. In this situation, I don't think you'll have that issue. So it could work out overall. But yeah, Margot Robbie is a strong female to choose here, not just on screen, but off screen as well. Running her own production company, taking control of her career, not being turned, not willing to let herself be turned into just a beautiful woman that they put in a bunch of things. She wants to control where she goes and what she works on. This is a smart move for her career wise. I like this idea. It's exciting. I think it's a better idea than the Karen Gillan thing. And she may show up in the Craig Mason uh, thing, possibly a lot of rumors about her playing Scarlet from the new Pirates of the Caribbean ride. But if you're going to go and create something within the universe itself, Margot Robbie is the right way to go. I just want her surrounded by a good, strong cast and a good story. And I think we'll all go along with it and have no problem with it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Again, I just, I think, I just feel like the franchise is just so linked to Sparrow. Yeah. I, and you know, pirate movies when they're done well, which is not very often, but they're a blast. They're, they're, they are an absolute joy to watch. I hope, I hope you're right, Michael. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, and- I, I, I probably am. <laughs> Oh boy, here we go. Uh, there is that's the best what you want from a president. Uh, sounds sounds similar. All right, we're, we're not, we're not, what, uh, what's your what's wow. your story, Michael? What's your wow, low <laughs> uh, Actually, go, I actually yeah. do. I do want to talk. I do want to talk Eurovision. But as we are recording this, like we all just got a text message from. A, I actually got two text messages about this. But uh, yeah. the Hollywood Reporter. I'm, I'm going to switch gears here. Um, oh, breaking news. breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news from the Geek Buddies. Uh, as we are recording this, yeah. uh, you know, Justice League star Ray Fisher uh, has come out accusing Joss, Joss Whedon of abusive and unprofessional behavior on set while he was doing Justice League. And I know that Johnny loves to talk about his, uh, his Justice League. I don't have my shirt right now, but yeah, interesting. Uh, Looking at it as well. Go ahead, Mike. Here, I will. So, so uh, Justice League actor Ray Fisher is speaking out about his time working with Joss Whedon on 2017's Justice League. Uh, on Monday, Fisher shared a video of himself praising Whedon at Comic Con in 2017, where he said Joss is a great guy. Zach picked a good, a good person to come in and finish up for him. Um, but he wrote of his comments on this video, "I'd like to take a moment and forcefully retract every single bit of this statement." Mm-hmm. Uh, Whedon's onset treatment of the cast and crew of Justice League was gross abusive, unprofessional, and completely acceptable, unacceptable. He was enabled in many ways by producers Jeff Johns and John Berg. Uh, Fisher, who played Cyborg in the film, has been sharing details as we've been, as as Zack Snyder has been promoting uh, his cut of Justice League coming out on HBO Max. He says, I don't praise writer Chris Terrio and Zack Snyder for simply putting me in Justice League. Uh, I praise them for empowering me, a black man with no film credits to his name, with a seat at the creative table and input on the framing of uh, the Stone family before there was even a script. So uh, as much as I do want to talk about Eurovision because I thought it was awesome and Johnny hated it. And yeah. I, I didn't think say it's hate it. I don't misrepresent um, me. I didn't say I hated it. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> as much as I found it delightful and John was grumpy about oh, it. Oh, uh, you know, like he's just grumpy about it. He didn't like it. All right, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Listen, sir. <laughs> yeah, you I started. Will, you start dictating on here. 
I will take a lot from you, sir. I know you will. But I but there is a line. There is a line. Lone warrior, lone warrior. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, what do you guys uh what do you guys think about this? This is pretty pretty bold on on uh on Ray Fisher's part to come out and uh, just fully like dump on Whedon this way. Well, we we, we talked about it yesterday on SEN Live, right? When I was hosting the show and uh there was a, a conversation about it. a lot of people felt as we were reading his comments initially what he posted uh, was that he was being a bit salty. I'd like to take this time. Like, and people were like, well, this could, you know, this could get you in trouble in your career when you go at a director, especially when you don't have, you don't have a lot of credits or a lot of credibility in the business. Ray's still starting out, so to speak. It's kind of dangerous to be this outspoken against a director. Now we know why he posted that. Now, just as you're reading this, Mike, it puts it all in perspective and you understand apparently there was stuff that goes on, but I need to hear details, right? This sounds like generalities. It was abusive behavior, this and this, and I felt uh, it was a bad situation. Okay, what happened here? What specifically was said? What's, was, was he racist? Was he dismissive of you as a person because he felt you didn't have enough credits to talk to him, which would be ironic as F because he cast that young extra to be the lead in his Shakespeare adaptation after he directed Avengers. So what is this situation? Like we need to hear details, but on the surface, we're seeing a young black man calling out an old white director, an older white, not old, older white director about treatment on the set. So I think with everything that's happening, there is a desire to hear more, to want to understand what specifically happened. And this isn't the first time Joss has taken some crap. There have been, you know, people have come out and how he treats women in his films, how he treats women on set at times. There have been rumors about that. So this isn't the first time. So, you know, this could be a – I mean, how how ironic would this be if Zack Snyder is the one that comes out of this smelling clean and it's Whedon the one that everyone turns on? It's kind of crazy. Why this is why life is a marathon, kids, and not a fucking sprint. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Shannon? Well, yeah, I agree with John. I mean, you know, watching that clip from Comic Con where Fisher did say that Josh Joss was the right guy, um, you can see a part of his soul being taken away after he as he finished that statement. And you can also tell from the posture of Momoa that he was did not agree. Um, but as John said, you know, these are general, these are general statements that, that he's making right now that he, he was abusive. He was unprofessional. And honestly, this is not the first term, first time I, I, I had heard this. I had heard this from friend of a friend who was close to the production that he came in with his sort of Marvel pedigree and, and, and the powers that be were kind of looking to him to save the day. And he was kind of an a-hole, um, Again, but I think I think John's right. I think we would need to know the specifics of the uh, abusive behavior to really make kind of a final judgment call. One yeah, last, I think one last thing before I say before you jump in, Mikey, to think about they've stopped shooting the Nevers, which is halfway through production on HBO with Joss Whedon. This could be a bombshell of a moment here uh, for him and that production. So go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. I just think that the kind of Johnny to your point about uh, life is a marathon and not yeah. a sprint. The 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 long and sorted Joss Whedon tale is an interesting one. Like for someone to come along and sort of own geek culture for a period of time and really own geek culture with uh, you know his claim to fame, the thing that made him was Buffy, which is a strong yeah. empowered female story and everything else. And then subsequently to have a lot of those stories about his treatment of women. Uh, come out uh, after that, which was not a great look for him, combined with the leaked Wonder Woman script, which when you compared it to his leaked yeah. Wonder Woman script, which when you compared what was written on the page there to what uh, Patty Jenkins did, you were like, oh yeah, this definitely has a serious male gaze issue. 
and then to have uh, so so sort of like he he kind of got beat up through the Me Too moment. You know, that was that was definitely not a great moment for him. Yeah. And things seem to have kind of settled down. Uh, he wasn't fully canceled. As you said, Johnny had stuff that he was still doing. And then to have this come out at yeah. this moment where, Johnny, to your point, to have a, a young black actor come out and accuse an older white director of this level of mistreatment. Yeah. Like it is it is just it is a fascinating thing to see how someone who in a lot of ways has given so much, whether it's, whether it's Buffy, whether it's Firefly, whether it's, you know, the first Avengers movie, uh, you know, it's like for someone who has done a lot of things and was looked at so highly in a lot of ways yeah. uh, to now have all of these things leveled against him. You're absolutely right. Like definitely need more information, definitely need to hear more, but it definitely, it, it's, it's, I feel, I feel bad. I feel, I feel like it's, it's a bummer. But also, I feel like it's the right. These are the hard thing. These are the hard discussions you have to have. And someone who, <laughs> this is the geek version of the monument argument of like, oh, well, wait, wait, what are we gonna do? These, you know, take down these statues, these people. This is like someone who, in the geek world, was a statue, and like now we're kind of like, I think we need to maybe take this statue down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fair, and you know, it and it, it feels like just like other statues. Well, not other statues, but it's like other situations. You are the architect of your own demise. You are the architect of your own being taken down. If you take advantage of a situation, you stomp on set and you push people around and you do things. When it finally comes out, don't come crying to me, man. Don't come crying to me. There have been too many uh, stories of this stuff for decades of people being, uh, you know, run through the mill or being uh, chastised for how they treat people on set. We, we know on the cinephiles, we go back and sometimes we'll talk about the directors that we cover on these classic films and the stuff that they pulled on sets. And really yeah. call them out on it on our show. And so that's kind of what you have to do here. So I appreciate Ray Fisher stepping out. And, you know, I'm sure the Black Lives Matter moment, John Boyega giving that speech, you know, there's a impetus here to have these things brought out and, and talked about and have conversations. And we will see what Joss Whedon says and we'll see what he responds with, if he responds with an apology. And like I just said, I don't know what's going to happen now if this takes if this gets traction. What do you do with the Nevers? You know, I just interviewed James Norton, who is one of the, who is Hugo Swan in the Nevers, and they're halfway through, and he spoke glowingly about working with Joss and his genius and what he's creating and all of that. But, you know, the other side of this thing is if this stuff is true, when you couple it with the uh, the accusations of how he's treated women in the past uh, and female characters, it becomes troubling and it becomes uh, 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 problematic. And at that point, the HBO may have to step in and make a decision halfway through a production to change the showrunner, to change the person in charge of this. And that could be a massive setback for that entire production. And all those actors were already suffering through a COVID uh, stoppage. What, uh, uh, you know, and now we might have to adjust completely their point of view, you know, ironic as hell. And if, if, and if and yeah. And I, and I think to your point, I mean, and again, we all know my opinions on Zack Snyder as a director, but it does seem like most of the cast and the people behind the movie are yeah. sort of lining up behind Zach on this. They love Zach. Not they, they, they clearly, from, yeah. from day one, there definitely seemed to be a, we got caught in this situation where we had to do this movie that none of us love. And we are all, now that this now that this is coming out on HBO Max, we're lining up behind Zach. So it'll be interesting to see. Like now, yeah. it just, I think even this adds more fuel to the uh, Snyder cut on HBO Max fire. Uh, yeah. and so it just, you know, we'll, we'll, we will obviously be keeping a close eye on that absolutely would it be ironic if Zack snyder takes over the nevers on hbo now i mean after he's done with it. i mean that would be ironic as f um, um anyways i i know i i know i i uh i ceded my time to this and i didn't get to talk to eurovision but uh, all right go go see eurovision go watch it have a well, good time 
we can look, let's take two minutes on that. Two minutes, two to three minutes. Mikey, you liked it. Shannon, you liked it. Uh, say why, and then I'll rebut. Uh, Eurovision, very, very funny and a very, very easy watch. I, I had it on in the background. It's been a while since I've really enjoyed a Will Ferrell movie. I, I thought it was a delightful, easy watch. Uh, I think that I went in thinking that it was not going to be great. So I did go in with lowered expectations, which probably helped. Uh, but also I thought it was going to be a movie that was making fun of Eurovision and calling it out as stupid and silly. Um, but much like Galaxy Quest, it rode that fine line between kind of poking fun at something while still clearly loving it. Uh, the movie is filled with actual Eurovision stars who all have great featured roles. And uh, it actually, ultimately, you get to the end of it and it sticks the landing with the heart and the feels like I got to the end and I was emotionally affected more than I thought I would while still in, it was, it was the most I've enjoyed Will Ferrell in a very long time in his movies. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to wash out the stink of Holmes and Watson uh, from your brain. Ooh. That was a horrific, horrific bad movie. <laughs> my girlfriend, I still hold it over my girlfriend's head because that's the one movie she recommended we go see. And uh, we were just, and uh, that was a tough, tough experience. But uh, this situation here, I, I would like to tell you that the ending that they stuck the landing, but I don't know because I only watched half an hour of it. So uh, I can tell you that I stopped an hour into it going, Did hey, I've seen this movie a million times before. From Will. Oh, can I finish my point? Can I finish? I, okay, okay, I, have I have a question. Finish. I have a question about where sure. you ended. Sure. I, uh, uh, Rachel McAdams already had won me over. It was great seeing Pierce Brosnan. By the way, fuck you, Pierce Brosnan. Fuck you for looking that good, man. Still, <laughs> you'll probably you'll be ninety years old. You look dabbing and deshenet. Fuck you, man. Uh, and and <laughs> it's so great to see Rachel McAdams because I love Rachel McAdams in anything. She's one of the she's our one of the best actresses we have working today. That little mole of hers was hilarious. All of it they did with her uh, was great. But um, and Dan Stevens was funny. Uh, the 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 little bit of time I got with him was really funny. But I've seen Will play this character before. It's the same character from blades of glory it's a version of the anchorman character it's a version of the fucking um, of the other the, the tropics the semi-pro character we've seen this right oblivious guy following his dream against everyone else's wishes like we've seen this already and so to me if i didn't find it as sweet and lovable and uh, yeah of course his dad of course they're gonna come together and it's just like yeah I, it just felt to me like i'd seen these beats all over uh, before <laughs> but i enjoyed uh rachel Gatton. so that's where i stopped and maybe i'm wrong but I'm giving you half a review. An did hour you, in, I was like, I'd seen these jokes already, and I only smiled once in the first hour. Did you get to the sing-along at the mansion? No. You did not. I so got I, to Dan uh, Stevens yeah. asking Rachel McAdams out, or essentially kind of asking her out, and Will Ferrell going, hey, don't you know that he's doing the thing? Like, I just, I didn't find the cod piece I, joke funny. I didn't find him the thing, the thing that was so telegraphed, this whole thing breaking. It was all telegraphed. And so, so to me, I just didn't find the first hour. I only smiled once. That doesn't bode well for the second hour. But okay. there, there was a big, the scene that Mike is talking about pretty much immediately followed after you turned. I the think film you off. literally stopped 30 <laughs> seconds before this part happens in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm always, you guys know, I'm always wide open to changing my mind. So uh, I, will, I will finish it. I will finish it. We're going to Tiger King this thing. <laughs> I mean, Lily, yeah, right. Fair. Lily was done 10 minutes in. She was like, turn this off. Just I'm all right. I'm going to go play on my design own app. I can't watch this anymore. Uh, so yeah.
I will agree with you. I think that Will Ferrell and I, and I love. I mean, there was. I mean, I, yeah. I think the three of us were all together when we saw like old school in the theater for the first time. Yes. There was a yeah. moment where Will Ferrell could do no wrong. I think Will Ferrell is like a very intense cheese. Yeah. Like if you eat too much of it, you're like, this is not good. This was <laughs> not a good cheese. And it doesn't go with everything. And it doesn't go with everything. I, I, I disagree I think, with you a thousand percent. No, he no, is, he is not strong cheese. He is cheese you've had on every meal you've ever eaten in your life, and there's nothing after you've enjoyed it the first couple of times. Listen, listen we sorry. could debate this analogy all day. I'm trying to agree with you. <laughs> He's not Gouda. He's not smoking. Let me talk about. I'm just saying he is something that, like, when you let Will Ferrell, like, to your to your homes and watches, like, when you let Will Ferrell just go and he does his fit shtick and it overpowers everything. I've reached a point where I'm like, I feel like it's too much and it's not that funny. Right. But when he is partnered with another flavor like Rachel McAdams and you get just a little bit of his thing, but it's balanced out with some other pieces like Rachel McAdams, like Eurovision stars, like he works really well. And I don't disagree with you that this is a version of a lot of characters. It's the arrogant kind of stupid kind of yeah. whatever I, that you are hundred percent right. He is playing a very typical Will Ferrell character, but, and I promise you, if you watch another 20 minutes of the movie, <laughs> you're going to go, you're going to go, oh, okay, I'll keep going. And by the end of it, the balance of it all, it's a well-balanced Will Ferrell. Okay. It's the same Will Ferrell we've seen a lot of times, but it's got the rest, the right pieces around it to make it palatable. And the rest of it is so enjoyable and sweet and charming that you get to the end and you're like, well, that was a delight. Okay. All right. And look, I, look, I kept going. She, she was done with it and she loves Will Ferrell. But I kept going, thinking it might, it might make a turn. And it, it wasn't that it was an unpleasant experience. It just felt like something I'd seen already. So maybe, and I was enjoying Rachel, and I was enjoying Dan. And by the way, anytime Dan gets to really act is fantastic. So I'm, I'm I, I, like out of the realm of what he usually does. It's always fun to watch him. You know, The Guest and is one of these great, unrecognized, awesome little small horror films that he was in that's fantastic. But yeah, this is – so I, I'm open to it. You know, I'm open to it. But honestly – Fuck you, Pierce Brosnan. Fuck you so hard for looking that good. Yeah. I hate him so much. I mean, like, it's not right. It's I almost he want is, to take a bat to his face. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. He is, yeah. he is a he is a handsome man. He is really a good looking dude. They put him in long hair and all, and he still looked good. They put him in a damn beard and he still looked good. Take a There's bat a point. to his perfect, perfect face. Yeah. <laughs> There's a point later in the movie where his real life accent is getting in the way of his Icelandic accent. Like, like they're all doing these, these like over the top Icelandic accents. Yeah. He's, yeah. It, he's talking and you're like, that was Iceland British. Like what, what, like, what was yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So there you go. So Eurovision, thank you there for you giving go. me two topics this week. I, 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 appreciate the time well i think the breaking news is all that was an all all around topic so that was a, a good one to talk about um all right uh, let's uh, wrap up our first segment of the show i know we're, we're a little bit over the usual time we spent on this but uh the boys season two uh a bunch of trailers dropped and some uh the first i know i don't know three and a half minutes not the first three and a half, but three and a half minutes from the first episode i think dropped here with giancarlo esposito uh we see a lot of black noir uh now which was teased in the last season that he was going to have more to do in the second season certainly he is the focus of this clip uh we also had a, a minute and 20 second teaser trailer that dropped with a lot of blood and seeing all these characters back and then we had a new character introduced called stormfront which was a great introduction that was very topical very much a person of 2020 who would be a superhero team totally instagramming live the whole situation as they came across and calling out the uh, um staged 
photo ops and staged video ops that you see from the boys. So once again, this this feels to me from everything I saw, and I'll give my first thoughts on this, it feels to me like they understood what worked in season one and they doubled down on it and fleshed it out even more. And I couldn't be more excited. I honestly... I love the social commentary in the first season. I love what they did about exploring the idea of turning the idea of being a hero on its head and what humans would actually do with that power, given their proclivities to abuse advantages that they get in life. Uh, having it fleshed out even more to where it's governmental, I think is going to be exciting. And Giancarlo Esposito joining any show is always a positive. And that character is going, looks like he's playing, ah, it's going to be a mother effort. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. What do you guys think? Yeah, I thought I thought all the footage was was great. Um, I think you know the, I think the the boys kind of take a backseat in the promotional material because True, the fair. heroes the heroes are the fireworks. But right. that being said, Carl Urban, Jack Wade, those guys were all fantastic. And mm-hmm. and I and I think you're right, John. I think they saw what worked in the in the first season, and they're doubling mm-hmm. down on it. I mean, the moment that uh, Black Noir <laughs> grabs that bunny, <laughs> and oh. you just see him kind of dancing a little bit. I mean, there's there is a very specific tone that yeah. the boys is going for and thus far they're hitting the bullseye yeah mike i was really disappointed by all of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm just, I'm yeah. just kidding it was great I really it. it was so good it was so good uh, <laughs> no i um i think that uh I, I really think that you're 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 nailing everything like they've they know what works. The social commentary is great. Uh, what is the new hero's name? What's her name? Stormfront. Uh, Stormfront. Stormfront. I was reading an uh, interesting thing that uh, her power levels apparently are like sort of comparable to Homelander's. So <laughs> whereas everybody else is sort of scared and he's used to sort of ruling the roost. They said in a lot of the materials that were released when they released that clip that yeah. she has that attitude because she's not afraid of him the way others are. Like she yeah. has a power level that can go toe to toe with him, which I think is a really interesting dynamic. And with all the Black Noir stuff, they're just picking up on all those seeds of the idea that like, you know, the whole idea in season one was getting the supers. Voight wanted the supers to be a part of uh, the military. They wanted they yeah. wanted to, to kind of infiltrate the military, uh, and that was the big thing. And this idea that there's now super villains, that there's other uh, other characters in other countries who also have this compound V, who have these abilities, yeah. that they're really going to utilize that as much as they can to really like drive the supers taking over more of the military and everything else, which is a super interesting big idea combined with, as you said, this new character sort of Instagramming live and coming in sort of the older, more established superheroes who might not be as savvy with social media and just skewering them. So it's, it's, there's so much to work with and that doesn't even get into picking up the emotional threads from the end of season one and the big cliffhanger. And what that's going to do. So I think they have so many characters that are interesting that we love. And I also think Giancarlo Esposito, like, I hope the rumors of him playing Norman Osborn are true. Because between this and between Mandalorian, he can just, as far as I'm concerned, he can be a bad guy in every movie going forward that we have. And I'm just okay with it. Like, I'm just on board. He's, He's that good. Yeah. Listen, there are so many great black actors, right, that have been around for decades and been in our media for decades and don't get the chance to shine um, because roles go to other people of color or whatever. Or, or, I mean, sorry, white people or other people. You're seeing Giancarlo have a renaissance again. And that, a renaissance, right? And that is exciting to see. 
Because, I mean, I grew up with him as, as bugging out in uh, Do the Right Thing and other roles, smaller roles in Spike Lee stuff. To see him now embrace his power, embrace that voice of his, is just great to watch. Just great to watch. And in both Mandalorian and in this three-minute clip, yeah. he has that, He to your point, he has that power where he's not playing like a heavy He's nope. not even raising his voice. Nope. Like he has this menace and he has this ability to just like exude badassery yeah. with yeah. just like staring at someone and calmly talking, which yeah. is amazing. Like that's <laughs> yeah. clip. He's, he's sitting in a fucking boardroom yeah. looking through a binder and you're like, you're the scariest fucker in this show so far. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm on board. I'm super into it. And honestly, I think, I mean, I think him as Norman Osborn would be an awesome idea. I'd love to see him as a Magneto. Yeah. Or an yeah. Xavier. Ooh, I mean, damn. Damn. I didn't think about that. that I would, be- I would like, we heard those rumors a long, and this is sidetrack. Uh, we heard those rumors that they were talking, that there were, there was some thought about changing the origins of Xavier and Magneto to fit the time. And uh-huh. him as one of those roles. Awesome. I think that's I mean, such a good idea. I think that's so, brilliant considering Stan Lee, you know, kind of uh, had the mutants created in order to reflect what was happening yeah. racially in the country in the 60s. Yeah. So basically what we're saying is he can play anything. Yeah. We're, we're good. Like basically we're like cast him in something and we will agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So the, <laughs> the, the boys comes out September 4th, 2020. They are doing something different this time around. They're dropping. They're not dropping all the episodes at once like they did with season one. They're dropping three episodes on September 4th, then the next five episodes weekly. So the last one airs on October 9th, those sons of bitches. So uh, I'm I'm mad that we're not getting the whole season at once, but maybe if I can shake the tree a little bit, maybe we can talk to one of our friends and we can get the all the season, all the, the entire season ahead of time and do a bit of a mini non-spoiler review amongst the three of us possibly you know what you know what though and i will say this like as much as i love binging and don't get me wrong like i love the netflix model and i've loved having these years where you can like get all 10 episodes and spend a weekend just like that deep dive it's great with Watchmen and with mandalorian and with clone wars and everything i've enjoyed maybe it's the quarantine like i just need something to look forward to but like i have enjoyed knowing that like Sunday night was my Watchmen night or like Friday was my Clone Wars. And like, that was like a thing to look forward to each week. And so I'm not, I'm not mad about it. I'm okay. Especially as we're rounding out 2020. It's like, you know what? Fucking give me something each week to look forward to. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. That may be the philosophy (laughs) here. They're like, you know, it's working that people are actually home and looking forward to stuff. It builds up the anticipation. You might be right. I'm still going to try to get those episodes ahead of time. though. Uh, (laughs) All right, let's take a quick break here uh, for our our sponsors, for those of you who are listening to us on the podcast network, and then we'll jump into uh, our main topic here, uh, Hamilton leading us into our favorite patriotic films right after this. Do-do-do-do. Boop, boop. I mean, feel free to chime in, Mikey. Uh, I mean, if you don't don't want to, I mean. You know what I was trying to do? I was trying in my head. I was was like, they're geeky and they're. (laughs) I was like, I was trying like. Yeah, they're, they're, they're funny. They got a lot of money. I wish we had a lot of money. I don't. Yeah. Know. This is why you can't uh-huh. do lyrics on the fly. Uh huh, Mike. This uh-huh. is why. This is why I am not as good as Lin Manuel Miranda, who we are about to talk about right now. <laughs> well, Mike is right. Uh, I'll just I'll just tee this up, and you guys take it, and we'll all take it from here. But like, uh, yeah, uh, July third is, and as you're listening to us on Thursday tomorrow, 
uh, Disney Plus is releasing the film version of Hamilton. By film version, I don't mean that they shot a feature film. They shot a production of Hamilton uh, and uh, edited it all together. And you're going to see it for the first time. It was supposed to come out next year in the theaters. They dropped it super early on Disney Plus streaming service to get people excited for it. Uh, let's deal with that. And it's it's leading us into the conversation of what our favorite patriotic films are. I have not seen the show. I've heard some music uh, that Michael has played me, Sarah has played me, Josh and Amber have played me, our friends. Uh, and uh, uh, Shannon has not seen the show or heard the music. And Michael has seen the show and heard the music. So this is an interesting place we're all coming from, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I... I'm so excited. Like I've seen the show twice. I've listened to it countless times. I'm obsessed with it. It, uh, it, it is, it is top 10, maybe top five theater going experiences of my life. Seeing it, uh, seeing it on stage for the first time. And that was after having listened to it for a year. And I also think that, uh, Disney plus Disney's very smart to launch us on Disney plus this, uh, independence day weekend, because, I, and this kind of leads into what we we're going to talk about, but I've seen a lot of posts uh, on Twitter, Instagram, on Facebook, where people are, given the state of America, there's a lot of people that aren't super excited about celebrating yeah. Yeah. the 4th of July this year. The 4th of July is a mixed bag this year. Celebrating American independence, celebrating America is... Um, it, it, it brings up a lot of weird feelings. And I think that that's fair to say of anybody. It, it's not to say that you shouldn't be happy about our independence. It's not that you shouldn't be happy to be American. It's not that you shouldn't be upset about being American right now. There's just, it's a lot of feelings. And I think that in this time that we're living in, um, Hamilton specifically, which tells the story of American independence with an entirely, uh, a cast entirely made up of people of color, of, of, of Latinx people, of black people, I think is a really interesting way for people to look at this story. And I think that for, to your guys' point, this was such a hard ticket to get. Uh, It was an expensive ticket to get. Not everybody in our country can like just go to Broadway or go see a show. Uh, It's a high price value thing. And so to take this show and put it on Disney plus where everybody can watch it. um, I think it's going to spark a lot of conversation and I think it does it 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 represents where we're living right now which is america our our fight for independence and what our forefathers did was an amazing thing they were the activists and revolutionaries of their time they were also hugely problematic and that independence did not necessarily extend to all people who were living on in this country at the time right. and by reframing the story with an entire cast of color and by those characters embodying it. There's actually this moment, I was reading an article about Hamilton and Lin-Manuel Miranda says one of his most emotional moments uh, was when they performed at the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says one of his most one of his most emotional moments that he's had in the entirety of Hamilton is when Chris Jackson, who plays George Washington in the original Hamilton cast, uh, was singing one last time, which is George Washington singing about deciding to have term limits. Mm-hmm. And this black actor was singing this with a framed picture of the real George Washington behind him. And he was singing it to Barack Obama, our first black president who was on his last term. Yeah. Uh, and he says, he says, Chris playing George Washington sitting in front of him uh, is Barack Obama, who is the, on his last term as president, our first black president in his last term, watching a black man playing the first president, singing about deciding that presidents would have last terms in front of a portrait of the first president that he's playing. Everybody was crying. 
And that in and of itself pretty much sums up why I'm stoked about Hamilton. Um, But you guys who know much less about it, what are your feelings? Obviously, aside from being excited to watch it. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, so when Hamilton first came to when it was on tour and it came to the Pantages and went to San Diego, they they through their app, they had a lottery where you could yep. you could try to get two tickets. or You could try to get one ticket. I was like, one ticket's probably going to be an easier get. And I applied every day. Never got it. Then this year, one of the gifts that my girlfriend got me for my birthday were tickets to Hamilton for its second go around at the Pantages that was going to be in late April. <laughs> And as everything was starting to shut down in March, she had asked me, do you think we're going to we're going to be able to go to Hamilton? And I said, no, I do not. Hmm. So unfortunately, I was true. She has now gotten tickets again. It was coming to Los Angeles again. (laughs) And she said, when would you like to try to go? And I say, order it as far in the back of the run as you can. So right now we have tickets to go in February. But I asked her when I saw the saw the preview because again I've I've heard snippets of the music I've never sat down and listened to it because um, I wanted to experience it the first time watching it uh, I was like do you want to watch this on Disney Plus and yeah. she was like I absolutely do and I'm like great so I, I'm excited to see it um, yeah yeah I'm excited to watch it yeah yeah uh, um, I, I, yeah so here's my thoughts I heard the music. I wouldn't say that I'm excited to see it. I would say that I'm curious. Because uh, for me, I'm not a fan of spoken poetry, rap, jam. Like, it's just not my thing. I didn't like it when it was deaf poetry, jam. And when I saw, I heard the, the yo, you know, the independent declaration. I, I just, I hate that shit. I really do. For whatever reason, I have an aversion towards it. I love rap. I love authentic rap. But that kind of stuff, I'm not the biggest fan of. So... When music has been played for me in cars, I have been courteous and understood and 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 didn't want to take away the feeling from my friends and have listened to it and been okay with it. Now I want to see it in, in context of the show. So my mind is wide open. I want to watch it. I want to savor it and see if it's any good. I'll probably come in the office that I'm doing this now, watch it without Lindley has any interest in it. I will watch it by myself and see if I like it and enjoy it. And then I'll have a, a better assessment or a better opinion about the show and the music itself. Because not every music, not every a bit of music or, or soundtrack can exist outside of the show. Sometimes you have to have seen the show. And I've had both experiences. I've never seen Company, and I love that soundtrack to pieces. Uh, I never saw Into the, oh, I didn't see Into the Woods until much, much later, and I loved it as soon as I saw it. Assassins, I had to see the show. Then I liked the music, even though I'd heard the music ahead of time. So just all kind of vary. It varies for me in terms of experience. Man, this is gonna be like this is gonna be like rent all over again. Where'd you put that? Is that top five? Rent go- theater going experience? as far as like as far as theater going experiences. The first time I saw Rent is absolutely top five. Like I, and Hamilton, seeing Hamilton is close to that. But what I'll say for those that don't know, when Johnny and I were uh, roommates in London together, uh, fall of fall of my junior year, uh, he. Dust. wanted nothing to do with rent he wanted nothing to do with rent he here's, could not be bothered he was like I I here's how i put it i got aids <laughs> i didn't want to see two and a half hours of i got hiv like i didn't want to see that and michael said shut your mouth sit down and wait with me outside this theater we're going to go in and see it live so, with, with a majority of the original cast yeah rent rent was opening in the west end and it was literally two blocks away from where our florida state study center was and so it i think was. i actually bought you your ticket like we waited in line to get the 10 pound so. tickets and i was like i will buy your ticket so we waited in line 
got the 10 pound ticket, sat in the front row. And I like, I do the same thing when we go see movies. It's like, if I'm really excited about a movie, sometimes I like lean forward and I like, look, I'm like, Oh, what, what did Johnny think of that? Oh, what did Shannon think of that? So like throughout the show, I kept looking over and John's mouth was just hanging open Yeah, and he's been in love with that show ever since. And I, I, I can't say for sure because I don't know what it's going to be like watching this on Disney plus. I do know that Lin-Manuel Miranda has been on Twitter saying he's seen it. And according to him on Twitter, yeah. this is everything that you want it to be. Go so I, I'm really hopeful. I'm really excited. And uh, it is definitely going to be my 4th of July. I'm not going to watch it on Friday. I'm going to save it. I'm watching it on Saturday. I'm, I'm very excited. I have my feelings. I'm honest with my feelings. But my feelings can change when I experience something. And well, certainly Rent was that. I mean, I was, sure. I loved it. And I've never you stopped did. singing those songs. And I've defended that uh, musical quite a bit through my life from people who've tried to denigrate it or put it down. I don't like my list. List yeah. of things that Michael was right about. When we oh, were like on our when we're on our deathbed, I'm just gonna give you the list. I keep you should, it. You Here's when, my I'm, list. When, when I'm the when, when I'm the when I'm the Mel Brooks to your car Reiner, I'm just gonna <laughs> hand it to you. I'll happily die first. Uh, <laughs> and that's I'm glad, I'm glad you caught that. I was doing it in my head. I was like, uh, Johnny can go first. <laughs> uh, here's here's the list of everything I got right here. It is. Um anyway, um, what's our <laughs> so anyway? So yeah, that gets us talking about patriotic films. And you're right, Mikey, this is a great point you bring up. Actually, Steve and I just recorded our second part of 1776 to finish it out, that musical, last night. Um, and he was great on the Outlaw Nation show. If you guys haven't watched that, Steve was a very, very fun guest on the Outlaw Nation show. It's been about two and a half hours talking about films and the show and the, the, the favorite episodes of the cinephiles and also what we're doing now, what he's working on, his new book on directing. But – when we finished up the show, we went right into a recording our second part of 76, finished wrapping up. And he's like, the film, it's weird. It's weird right now to be talking about a film that's about the Declaration of Independence and seeing these problematic people, which the musical doesn't shy away from, showing the problematic nature of these people. Thomas Jefferson never released his slaves. Never. Uh, and that is mind-blowing to think about. Until he's 83 years old, he had slaves, even though he's the one that wrote the slavery clause that was stricken from the from the Declaration of Independence. So this idea, people are starting to think, and Steve came up with this, and he's like, in his head, he said, it filled me with this feeling, should America have been created? And it was just like, wow, it's just kind of crazy to think about because the decisions that were made in that moment at the Declaration of Independence of striking that slavery clause in order to have a unanimous vote, we're still paying the price for that today. And yeah. you can't not make the connection through slavery, through the Civil War, through the Civil Rights Movement into the Black Lives Matter Movement. It's connecting. It's the tissue or it's a thread that connects from that one decision all the way decades later, centuries later to now. So it is a weird time, but we still feel I still feel like it would be good to celebrate America and celebrate the, the ability to speak out and talk and you know, challenge things, you know, and, and these patriotic movies do that. And I, and I do think that to your point, what movies do is movies can show the worst of us. Movies can show the best of us. So I think that, yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't think that at least for me personally, this is not a year that I want to watch a bunch of movies that uh, celebrate without showing the opposite side of I want or I want to see movies that show me the characters that show the best of what we can be or what yeah. we aspire to be and so that was kind of what I was thinking as we talked about this but uh yeah so what are what are your guys uh patriotic 
films that uh, your go-to movies to get you uh, to get you ready for uh, some fireworks and uh, barbecue? Uh, uh, Shannon, you take it. No, no, you take it since I was I was talking already. Go ahead, Shannon. What's your Captain America: The First Avenger? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know one of the best experiences I ever had with Shannon was seeing that movie, man. I mean, yeah. I mean that to me, as you said, I think I think it it shows us hopefully what uh, uh, America America can be. Yeah. Um, I love the fact, I loved how they changed the Howling Commandos. Um, yeah, I mean, Chris Evans' performance, uh, the, the uniform, the shield, all of it. Uh, it, it just, that, that's just one of the most positive films out there to me. And uh, it's, it's one that I, I definitely think personifies 4th of July viewing. Yeah. And also because Chris Evans in real life is so outspoken on social yeah. media in all the best ways, uh, uh, Steve Rogers is somebody that you can admire on screen and off screen, uh, which is which is which is a nice thing. And I would actually say uh, definitely Captain America. But for where we are right now, I go actually Captain America Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, I go I go for the. Uh, the the Steve Rogers who is looking around and realizing that his government and his country might not be living up to everything that he thought it was supposed to. Right. Uh, for me, that is that is the uh, that's what real patriotism is. It's it's actually uh, questioning what's going on around you and sticking to what you know is right, even when your own government is telling you that you're wrong. Yeah, we that, all. That's have- what I. That's what I'm into. That's fair. And we all have that journey, don't we? If we're even remotely self-aware people where the idealism of what we were taught as children fades away and we actually see the reality of what deals and compromises um, and uh, I don't know, uh, morality uh, situations you have to confront and decide for yourself work or don't work in order for you to function in this country, in order for this country to function. And we see it, like you said, Mike, we still see it now, certainly even more so uh, maybe than ever before in our country's history. We see it, our our con- our constructs, our systems being challenged from both the top down and the bottom up. And that is yeah. mind-blowing to think about both pressures uh, on at the same time. Um, and that's why Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is one of my – patriotic films that I turn to all the time because it's Jimmy Stewart and it's this idea of wanting to serve your country in a, in a you, you idealistic way. He was, he didn't want to necessarily be the Senator, but the situation kind of presented itself to him. There was an impetus to get him in the political machine thought he'd be an easy guy to manipulate because he was young and innocent. And they thought he was naive and stupid that they could manipulate him to vote for a corrupt uh, a situation and he fights back and what he does when you get to the climax of him reading all those letters from the people that the political machine has uh, manipulated into writing letters essentially fake news to make him to destroy him when you see that the political machine has run over children in the movie who were trying to send out letters that countered the other letters that were being sent when you see that, you see the levels to which the corruption in this country will go to to manipulate the message. And in the end, uh, the one person, Claude Rains, who is against him, who is who was an idealistic person to Jimmy Stewart's character, when he finds out that this man is corrupt as well, when he sees what the damage he's done to, in essence, 
the innocence of America in Jimmy Stewart's character, he wants to kill himself. And that is powerful. And that tells you like that uh, you can be patriotic. You can fight for the things you believe in. And hopefully evil finally sees the purity of that and stops, you know? So I, I love that as a patriotic film as well. Uh, another one that I was uh, that I was kind of thinking about um, a lot in the past couple of days was, uh, you know, I was thinking about movies that actually did deal with, uh, you know, the era of our forefathers in that era. And for my money, if I'm going to go back to that era, I would actually go Amistad. Oh, yeah. Great. Um, yeah. You know, I think that, uh, you know, it was, you know, Debbie Reynolds, uh, I was just watching a documentary on black filmmaking. Debbie Reynolds talks about how she found this book on Amistad. She was really interested in it. Uh, she kept taking it around, telling people that she wanted to get this movie made and never quite got the ball rolling until she went to DreamWorks and Spielberg was coming off of Jurassic Park to Lost World, mm -hmm. uh, feeling like maybe he wanted to do something a bit more uh grounded than uh you know a t-rex attacking a blockbuster video and so he decided to drive in on that but um but uh you know amistad i think kind of shows you a different perspective on things of that yeah. era and i think that you know like that's that's definitely an area i think that that's an area where we do start to at least to a degree deal with the uh the issues of the time yeah yeah what about you shan what's your next one um you know and and, and i I don't know if this one, I don't feel like this one is problematic, but I might be wrong. Um, hmm. I would have to, I would have to inquire a little bit more, but I am a big fan of glory. Yeah. Um, I think Ed Zwick's glory is it, it's, it's a film that uh, I actually saw in school. One of my history teachers uh, played it for us and just such a, such a powerful film, powerful performances, the type of movie that, when it was out in theaters, which at least where I was from in Orlando, yeah. I feel like it was a, I feel like it was a brief run. Um, I, it was one of those films that I saw uh, that I couldn't understand why more people hadn't seen it. Um, yeah. You know, Denzel Washington won best supporting actor in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, 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 along with having a beautiful moving score. Um, it is, it, it, it's a fantastic film. And I think it's some of the best work that, okay. uh, Matthew Broderick and uh, Denzel Washington have done and yep. uh, a very young Andre Brower as well. Well, I, I'm going to throw a few out real quick. Just, go ahead, just go for it. Kind of, kind of in the realm. I mean, Yankee Doodle Dandy is a fantastic one. If you really want to get lost in an old school musical with Jimmy Cagney, one of the toughest dudes on the planet ever to be in, uh, on screen, him doing George M. Cohen. That's a fantastic one. Air Force One. That's a great uh, patriotic film. Get, Get off, off my plane. plane. Exactly. Harrison Ford as one of the best presidents <laughs> ever. Uh, I think Miracle, the hockey one about the 1980 uh, USA Olympic team. I think that's a great patriotic film to see. A bunch of college kids taking on a bunch of professionals in these Russians who were just dominating uh, uh, Olympic hockey at the time, seeing them somehow find a way through the coaching of Herb Brooks, played by Kurt Russell, to overcome this juggernaut. And win this, uh, win this. Uh, uh, well, they ended up winning the gold medal. That was the semifinal game against the Russians. But the Russians were who they had to beat to face uh, the Finland in the in the uh, final game. Uh, that's another one to consider. And uh, when you put this all together, and look, you may hate me for this, but I'm going to throw Top Gun in there. Top Gun is an absolutely patriotic <laughs> film. No one's going to take away Top Gun from me. I love that as a patriotic film. And one last one. Arma fucking getting, ladies and gentlemen. Armageddon is a, is a goddamn patriotic movie. <laughs> Americans saving the earth, son. 
please. It is a great, great patriotic movie. So those are my run of fun movies. I know Mrs. Smith's a pretty serious movie, but everything else is a lot of fun. You can enjoy. I think for uh, if you want a little bit of a lighter fare this weekend, uh, <laughs> I would give you I would give you uh, Dave, starring mm-hmm. Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver. Great choice. Uh, you know, uh, kind of the 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 regular guy, the guy that cares about the little people, kind of getting to step into the Oval Office and yeah. uh, hijinks ensue. I would also give you the American President with Martin Sheen yeah. and uh, and uh, Michael, uh, Michael, Michael Douglas. Douglas. <laughs> I was like, I was like, who? I was, I was, I'm, I'm so used to like, I, I literally flipped it in my head. I was like, Martin Sheen's the president. I'm like, oh no, wait, that's West Wing. I'm like, no, no, no. With Michael Douglas, uh, Martin Sheen, Annette Bening, uh, great romantic comedy, but also, uh, you know, really uh, kind of same thing uh, that you get right into what it means to actually stand up for what you believe in and not yeah. let the machine kind of take you down. And honestly, uh, if you want something that sort of gives you the sprawling history of our country through a very specific lens, you could do you, you could do worse than Forrest Gump for a Fourth of July weekend movie. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's, it's definitely a good one. And we we have to add, even though it is silly, nope, it, we got it to. Has, it has a great <laughs> presidential speech. Oh yeah, Independence <laughs> Day. I mean, how could you not? You can't do Independence Day movies on the Geek Buddies <laughs> yeah. and not talk about Independence Day. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we, the show would have shut down if we didn't mention Independence Day. Absolutely. <laughs> One of the greatest speeches ever. Uh, uh, I mean, and that film is deceptively damn good, man. A speech that is so good that Donald Trump stole it on Twitter. Well, of course he did. You see how somebody took his face, somebody took Donald Trump's face and put it over Bill Pullman and then Trump retweeted it. And then Ridiculous. Bill Pullman came out and said... That's not that's not your speech. <laughs> My speech. We will uh, not go quietly into the night. You know, we're not gonna go quietly into that night, the greatest night, the best night, the greatest night ever. We're not gonna go quietly <laughs> into it. No. No, oh, God. Yeah. I, I do think you are right. I mean, like Independence Day, I think, gets lumped in with one with a lot of these sort of ridiculous big budget summer movies that yeah, are just action movies and, sure, bad yeah. and whatever. And Independence Day has definitely a level of stupid to it like yeah, it's sure. so over the top and ridiculous but <laughs> accepting that it is so much fun like yeah. it is just a blast the score gets you riled up it it you if you like the movie you can say it you know pays homage if you don't like the movie you say it steals from but it either pays an homage or steals from pretty much every sci-fi movie and oh, yeah. then some uh, <laughs> and, and and I was thinking about it this morning as I was kind of making my list of patriotic movies and, you know, looking at our country right now and the number of people that seem to not be able to put a mask on their faces. <laughs> I absolutely do believe that if aliens came, half of our country would be standing on rooftops saying welcome. Um, a million they vaporized. So a million percent. Point, point <laughs> through. Yeah. When, uh, one quick thing I wanted to add, just, you know, the humorousness of it. Um, but when I was in Japan, I worked with a lot of Australians. And, you know, when I went to Japan, I think it had only been like seven years since Independence Day came out. And I, I had it on in my room. And one of my Aussie buddies came in and he looked at him and went, oh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the moment where they're trying yeah. to, the Americans are using Morse code and the British like, it's the Americans. They want to launch a, con- a counteroffensive. <laughs> well, it's about bloody time. Every international audience. <laughs> they do. And, and they hate Forrest Gump as well. The international, I've discovered yeah. that the international audiences hate Forrest Gump. But you know what? 
some of you motherfuckers went and saw the movie because it made money globally. <laughs> it made money globally. So, and I and I do enjoy Independence Day. It is a fun for a number of reasons, right? The, and I know people make fun of it, and you feel feel fine to make fun of it. It's a diverse movie. Will Ferrell with Jeff Goldblum, who is presented <laughs> as Will Ferrell. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was thinking Will Smith. Will Smith. Sorry, sorry. I would have not liked that way, movie at all. By the way, now in my mind, I want Will Ferrell to actually play the alien. Like in Independence Day. We <laughs> got <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> him grabbing Brent uh, Brent Spiner. Uh, but no, you you have such great uh, mixture of people, right? Because you've got uh, uh, Will Smith with uh, Jeff Goldblum. Joe, Jeff Goldblum was presented as a Jewish person. He's just, that's very much with Judd Hirsch. It's very much how it's presented. Judd Hirsch, Judd Hirsch is definitely Jewish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just the way it's presented, right? You got Harvey Firestein, you know, uh, he's he gets a little bit of a moment. Uh, you've got Vivica Fox with the first lady, right? It's a stripper with the first lady of the United States, them coming together. So all of that throughout Harry Connick Jr. and stuff he's doing. Randy Quaid before he goes nuts representing the blue collar guys that have seen UFOs and recovering from Vietnam. All of it gets checked. All of, all the boxes get checked throughout this movie. And Margaret Cullen does a great job as well as the advisor to Bill Pullman and also kind of keeping Jeff Goldblum at bay a little bit and figuring this all out. Brent Spiner is funny as, the, as that uh, scientist. So all of it is that Robert Lozier. For God's sake, Robert Lozier. Robert Lozier. Mr. President. Mr. President. <laughs> Aliens. Uh, <laughs> all of it is there. So how could we not make uh, uh, independence? Yeah, no, listen, I, I, it's all there. I wouldn't say it's necessarily subtle uh, <laughs> as far as commentary goes, but hell of a lot of fun for yeah. sure. So yeah. definitely, definitely uh, on the list. Like I, I think that a a Hamilton Independence Day double feature is. Uh, <laughs> Is it's very likely in my in my very near future. Subtlety Bro. is not what Roland Emmerich was going for. No, no, he wasn't. <laughs> he only got it right for one movie, so there you go. All right, well, that's our uh, this week's episode of uh, the Geek Buddies. Uh, uh, let's t- let's go around at, uh, the corner of the horn and, and tell everybody what we're doing. Mike uh, Shannon, please. Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you'd like to follow Mr. Vogel, it's at MK2. And if you'd like to follow Mr. Roca, it's at the Roca Sess. And Mikey? Uh, and listen, as you guys are uh, grilling out, listening to fireworks, watching some of these amazing movies that we've recommended to you uh definitely take a moment uh you know subscribe below like this post uh like this video below leave us some comments uh your comments have been great we've really been enjoying them uh hit us up on twitter follow us on twitter follow us on instagram uh retweet this video if you're listening to us on anchor or spotify or itunes or wherever uh leave a comment leave a rating post that uh you know we really as we've been saying uh, we've been enjoying the fact that a lot of more people have been coming to see the show based on your recommendations. We've really enjoyed the conversation getting bigger. We've enjoyed taking this conversation off of the weekly episodes and into Twitter and the comment chain below. Yeah. And so it's been a blast. We want to continue doing this. So as you guys are celebrating your independence, celebrate your geekery as well. Yeah.
Let your Greek, your geek flag fly. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I echo my uh, fellow buddy sentiments uh, a thousand percent. Thank you all so much for downloading this episode uh, on the podcast stream. And thank you so much for watching this episode on the YouTube channel. Please subscribe to the channel down below and hit that like button on this particular video on YouTube. Hit those thumbs up buttons The more and the more uh, leave a comment. The more comments and likes you leave, it pushes us up the algorithm of YouTube and gets this uh, uh, show noticed even more. And I hope I speak for Mike and Shannon. Have yourself a safe, happy, and healthy uh, July 4th. Wear that mask. Practice your social distancing. Stay alive. We like the buddies. Uh, uh, that We like to add buddies to our crew. So we want you coming back every week to enjoy what we got going on. So thank you all so much. Uh, and uh, we will talk to you next week for another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.